Blog Talk Radio. Welcome all true seekers from across the globe. This is Reverend Karen L. Heasley from the Spiritual Path Church of Newcastle, Pennsylvania in the United States. Our true seeker show covers a variety of subjects from angels to afterlife communication to parapsychology to spiritualism to near-death experiences to meditation and a number of other true seeking topics. We are happy you have chosen to join us for this episode and hope you find it informative and enjoyable. Now, we're going to have a chat tonight, so, and you can call in, and I'm going to give you the number. It's 657-383-0416, so get a piece of paper and a pencil and write it down, 657-383-0416. Tonight, our guest is Dr. P.M.H. Atwater, an international authority on near-death States. This lifetime endeavor covers over 43 years of work involving nearly 7,000 people. Her meticulous and unique protocol gives validity to what she has discovered and verified about the percentage worldwide of people who have undergone NDE experiences. So now we're going to get her and everybody. Hi. Hi, Dr. Owl. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Great. It's it's wonderful that we've got you back on the show because, as you say, we had a show before and it was what you call dead air. Was that it? Yes. Like talking. <laughs> I couldn't hear it, you, anybody, anything. The air was absolutely flat. And I kept thinking to myself, I know she's on. I know she can hear me, but I can't hear her. What do I do? So, you know, I just did my own thing. (laughs) You did, and you did it splendidly. But I thought it would be a better show if we could have some interaction. So what I want to start with tonight, and I usually, I do talk about myself sometimes on on different issues, but what I want to talk to you about is when I was five, I had my own near-death experience at five. So I'm going to just go through a little bit of what happened, and then you can tell me um, your perception of that, if you don't mind. I was five, and I was getting my tonsils out, and they gave me too much ether, so my lungs collapsed, and I went into cardiac arrest. So the thing that I remember about this is I was going down a chute, like a chute, like a water slide, and it was just going um, twirling and twirling and twirling. And then all of a sudden, it went like that, and then I was in this dark, black tunnel. And believe me, when I tell you, I couldn't see anything in front of me, nothing. So I kept, I felt myself walking, but I also felt like I was not in my body anymore, you know, my physical body. I I truly was not in my physical body, but I can tell you, it was so black. I couldn't see anything until I got to 
the end, and then there was this magnificent light that was all, it just was all around me, everywhere. It was a light I've never seen ever again, except then. And so um, the thing that that really happened to me, too, was when I came back, um, I have to say that um, I had, um, I would say, like spirits from the other side, or, you know, I did have that, but I also had a thing that I would do where I would draw spiral things on paper for no reason. I just kept doing that. So I just want to, those are the points I want to touch on about my Andy. And if you want to tell me what you think about that now, that would be great. I'm going to be asking you some questions. And question number one is what, tells you that it was a tunnel was it just blackness it was just blackness so you're right i'm not sure if it was a tunnel to be quite honest most people that find themselves in blackness or strange lights um really don't have a tunnel it's really not a tunnel it's really that color and and one of the things i've noted with children is often they come into black light, either black light or dark light, Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes with purple tinges to it, but there's this incredible blackness. And, and, And there's something very loving and wonderful about that blackness. It's not negative at all. Uh, quite the contrary, it's, it's, it's black. So the fact that you are five years old mm-hmm. and that, um, that there was a lot of blackness there um, kind of makes me wonder if that was a black light experience rather than a tunnel. It um, could be. Yeah, you might kind of think about that and, and what made you think it was a tunnel. You know, there's only about maybe 15% of the experiencers worldwide who experience a tunnel. Okay. The tunnel is not that common. Surprise, surprise. Um, Yeah, I didn't know that. The reason we hear so much about tunnels, you can trace it back to when the media was sensationalizing Raymond Moody's first book, Life After yeah. Life. and I read that book, and that's when I found right. out I had a near-death experience. And that's really. when we first heard of tunnels, and that's when the media was insisting that everybody uh, went through a tunnel or mm-hmm. that there was a tunnel involved. Okay. And uh, back in 1982, the Gallup Poll did their first scientific um, study um, on, on near-death experiencers, and they asked them, you know, did you have a tunnel, anything like a tunnel? Only 9% of the people said that they experienced a tunnel. And now it's up to like maybe 15%, 17 18%, something like that worldwide. In, in fact, most people in most countries don't know what we're talking about when we talk about tunnels. So... I just find that very, very interesting that that we still kind of assume that anybody who's in a dark or black light is in a tunnel. And, and, and you know, I was just kind of wondering about that. <laughs> no, that's, that's a good – I'm glad you brought that up because that was my perception, you understand, because I read that book and they said you go through a tunnel. And that's the truth. 
So yeah, and you and and you were in darkness. I was. So you just kind of equated that with a tunnel. Uh, of course, you know, may or may not have been, but mm-hmm. that's one of the things I picked up right away. And then there was light. Uh, lots of light, you know, that's also, you know, kind of typical, very typical of near-death experiences, the even light. with it was children. Brilliant. Oh, and, yeah. And, and there, were, there were beings in the light? No, actually, it was just, um, just circumference me all around. There was, like, flashing all around me. You know what I'm saying? It was just, yeah. oh, I can't even lots explain of, it. it. Yeah. It, it's like the light was alive? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah, there's something yes, was. incredible yeah. about that light. Yeah. Oh, it was It's a not light. like your you typical barnyard light. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Very no. different. <laughs> it sort of reminded me of, you know, how a train, a locomotive train light is coming towards you. But this one was way, way brighter, and it had movement all around it. You know, it was move. It just had a lot of movement. Now, what do it you did. mean it had movement all around it? Um... The streaks of the light just came out towards me. Okay. I was just thinking about that. You're making me really think about this tonight. I haven't thought about this for a while. Well, I'm hey, I'm a researcher. This is my no, job. I know, and I'm glad. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to share this. But um, it, it just, the streaks would come and they would circumfer all around me, all, you know, from the front to the back. Sort of like made a circle around me. You never mentioned streaks before. You just said light. I just did because you asked me about it. So I thought about it. I really thought about it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Absolutely. and you might want to continue to do that just to see what those streaks meant meant to you or what form they had or what they were doing. Uh-huh, Yeah. It was loving, I can tell you that. It just—I had so much love to tell you the truth. That—that I will tell you one thing. Sometimes I always have that yearning, yearning for the other side. Believe it or not, I do. Oh yeah. Is that that typical? Yes. 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 Okay. What I would invite you to do when you have time, Mm -hmm. okay, is is get some crayons. Right. Or or some um, you know color or not, and, and draw a picture, and and just see what comes out. Maybe you want to draw several pictures, and just see mm-hmm. what comes out when you allow, allow um, um, your own soul to just kind of talk to you, okay, and, and, or your own spirit or your own heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just allow that um, to come forth, and 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 kind of kind of go with the flow. And you you might I suspect you might find more to your ex- experience than what you've been talking about. There might be more there. There might be. Now that I think about it, well, you, and... you might just explore it. You know, you can do that with crayons. Um, okay. Or paints, mm-hmm. you know. Kids love to do that. I uh, I do that a lot when I'm interviewing or or having a, a conversation with children. Out come the crayons. Out mm-hmm. come the colors. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I do. 
That's good. Now, um, and remember, what about the spirals? Have you run, in, run into that? With, oh, my dear, that. that is Tell me so about that. common. When you read this new book that's coming out next year, you're going to go, aha. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Lots good. of spirals. You, you know, um, we're very remiss in being able to um, label that because how can you label that? But but what I keep seeing and picking up is, is there's something there's something about the mind there's something about energy there's something about flowing with that energy there's something about playing with that energy and it's mm-hmm. almost as if there there's like ripples of that energy or or um, uh, protrusions or parts of that energy that just kind of want to play with you or you play with them. And there's just something about that energy in your mind, especially at school, maybe after school, um, these spirals. Um, and, and, and what I can share with you is that those um, child experiencers who talk the most about spirals yeah. um, seem to be connected the most to math. There's something about math or the way numbers go together mm-hmm. and in order to understand numbers they get all these spirals and they just mm-hmm. draw spiral after spiral and it's like that's the energy of the number but just kind of play with that and see what that I will. might because um, yes it's very typical of children child experiences especially in school and especially when they're trying to understand numbers. Okay. They get a lot of those spirals. So maybe you know, maybe there's another connection. Maybe not. But play with them anyway. And I see will. what they tell you. You know, that's an interesting part about looking at our near death experiences, drawing them, doesn't matter how old you are, or describing them is is sometimes we forget. We forget something very, very important. We forget to let the drawing talk to you. Uh-huh. We forget okay. to let okay. the pen or the crayon talk to you. Uh-huh. We, we forget to have the, the words we put down on paper begin to have a life of their own. And and I think that's very, very important when we're trying to understand our experiences. We're trying to almost force or or throw a, a blanket or, or a sheet or paper or isms and schisms on top of them um, because we've read or we've heard so many other stories. We've read so many books. And so we automatically bring in that thinking mind. And, and what I'm inviting here is the feeling mind. Mm-hmm. And if you could bring in your feelings okay. and have your feelings talk to you, you may find there was more to it than you thought. Well, obviously, obviously there was more to it than I thought because it actually changed my life. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. I don't care how old you are. It no. does change your life. 
you know, in, in my research of, of the near-death experience, and that that's nearly 5,000 people now, the others were from before I died when I was researching um, altered states of consciousness, psychic abilities, um, uh, transformational uh um, experiences. I was, I was, I was really deeply into that back in Idaho. I started Idaho's first nonprofit metaphysical uh, group called Inner Forum, and we had a lot of meetings, a lot of classes, biorhythms. I mean, you name it. We were studying it, or playing with it, or bringing in, or inviting in a speaker on it. So, and ghost hunting, I used to be a ghost buster. <laughs> Can you believe oh, that? My. I did back in Idaho, I was a ghost buster. Did you? Uh, yeah, I did a lot of that stuff. Um, and um, so, you know, when I died, it's like all of that was gone and had to relearn everything. Um, but but in the in the process of... It's almost as if like I became another person or another yes. aspect of myself. Mm-hmm. No, yes. I'm not a walk-in. Forget that nonsense. No. <laughs> and I don't think most people are. I, 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 I doubt that most people are either. Some might be, but I, I doubt that most are. Um, but anyway, when I started researching near-death experiences, um. One of the things I learned to do right away is to take my experience and put it on on the back shelf in my mind and allow my mind to be a blank sheet on which other people could write their experiences. And that's how I was able to do so much and 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 get deeply into other people's experiences is because I I just simply allowed them um to paint and write and 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 voice all over my brain. I mean it it's almost as if like I became them although I did not, but I yeah. certainly invited them to be their full self, to be their full person. And, of course, I'm a cop's kid raised in a police station, so Dad mm-hmm. would always say the body says more than the mouth does. <laughs> so I'm watching bodies. I'm watching your shoulders and your hips. And What are you doing with your you know, uh, body as you speak? So I'm really getting into that fullness of, of what you have to offer and who and what you are and that experience itself as a living, breathing entity of its own, uh, or 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 a force of its own, an energy of its own—not an entity, but an energy of its own. Okay. So, everybody out there in Blog Talk Land, if you're a near-death experiencer, or any any experiencer of um, the unknown or the different. Allow that to be itself. Don't don't um, 
don't be in a hurry to label things, but just allow it to be itself, especially if you can draw it. I don't care if you're 80 years old. Draw it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about drawing that that sort of wakes us up, and and uh, especially our heart, and we just sort of really get into it. So I, I really recommend that for everybody. That's good. Now, tell me the difference that you've done studies between a child and the and an adult. I mean, just you don't have. Can you oh, just pick out so many differences. Things, <laughs> well, I don't mean I don't mean I know, but can you just give us a few differences? Well, ah. I, I, I'm sort of having to sort of back up here a little bit, okay. a little bit because okay. that's such an interesting question. Um, what I have found in my work is that those who had their experience right around birth, so either just before birth, during birth, or right after birth, so the babes, the toddlers, and mm-hmm. kids up to five, but especially the really, really young ones, um, I put them in a class of their own. They're re- I, I would not compare them with uh, older children, teenagers, or adults. They are very different. Um, their needs are different. Their ideas are dr- different. Their strengths are different. Uh, um what I'm finding with, with little ones is that they, when, as they grow, they're very uncomfortable around adult experiencers. Very uncomfortable. Because adults are going around how they were saved and, and um, they now believe life after death and they talk about love and light and they, and they get on all these you know, really passionate stories. And, and the kid is looking at this adult wondering, what's the matter with that person? You know, it's like, what? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. be, because the adult is impressed with the idea that they survived death, while that little child is still caught up in the life continuum. Hear that? The life continuum. Okay. They're still a part of where they were. They're working through this dress rehearsal because they know they're going to sail on through and keep going. So what interests the child is how do I live where I am? So they're, they're more interested in learning how to live life productively, learn how to do their mission. They're, they're incredibly curious. They're just um, wrapped up in curiosity. It's like, what is this place? Okay, how do I live here? And how do I live here productively? And what do I do with this? Um, they're more interested in those kind of answers 
than they are with proving to anybody there's life after death or talking to anybody that there's life after death because they don't relate to birth and death like the average person or even the average experiencer. Therefore, they have a lot of challenges with family, mom, dad, Mm -hmm. and brothers and sisters. They have a lot of challenges in school. They deal with a lot of bullying. Um, If you've got the little tiny ones, very seldom do they bond with parents. They bond with the beings on the other side. So we're talking about real confusion here. And um and and certainly you're going to you're going to learn more about that when the book comes out and it's called The Forever Angels. It's I coming out through Inner Traditions I think next August. Um and it's about near death experiences of children uh life long, how it how it changes them lifelong. Yeah. Um and it's um it's going to shock and surprise everybody. It is. Because those little bitty ones are different from older children. So and and by the way, me, they're right? also more suicide prone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They are. Because of the difficulty in being able to be heard, to have friends, to make sense of life. Well, that would make sense. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get a taste of that, then you will um, want my book that's been out for a number of years now. It's called um, The New Children and Near-Death Experiences. And I talk uh, a lot, certainly about children, but especially the little bitty ones there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's some drawings in the book and this kind of thing. Um, you'll you'll get a taste of what's coming, but only a taste. Um, the Forever Angels is actually a, a relatively small book. It's not a it's not a uh, a big tome, um, and you're going to be really surprised. I I, ha- I have a a chapter on historical cases where, oh, where yeah uh, where I was able to trace what I believe were near-death experiences, and a lot of uh, very famous and brilliant people uh, remember how curious they are. And and the little bitty ones are unusually intelligent. Many come back geniuses. Mm-hmm. And that's where you get your spirals. Is that where, These little is that kids that are following that, that feeling inside of them, that that nudging and flipping and and you know what's going on in their mind and in their body, um, it's, it's that spiraling energy. That makes sense. You're making sense tonight about all this. Now we, you know, I want to talk a little bit. You did bring up about suicide. Now you know, <clears throat> so. I think you put something in the one book I was reading about suicide, how they could it, it's not look at it as much negative, right? Because it can come out with a positive um, uh, outcome. Most of them do, especially adults, teens and adults. You, 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 you run into a lot of that with teens and young adults, but also older adults. In my research base, it's um, 
right around, uh, I think it was 5% uh, with with the older older experiencers that uh, did try. Um, it might have been a little bit more than that. I, I forget right now exactly. But did try suicide after their experience, even a positive experience. They did try suicide to get back to the other side because this one was too much work. Mm-hmm. So they and, wanted to go back. Yeah, they wanted to go back. And and this is what I found with with children originally is that um, – they were always looking for for the other side. Um, let let me give you some examples of that. There was okay. there was this a little girl. Mm-hmm. She, she must have been about two or three, maybe. Had her experience and um, was in this wonderful city and all these beings and all this love, 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 love. Of course. And when she came back, she came back to this family of hers. And you know, where's the love? Where where's the beings? Where 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 were these wonderful beings of love? Um, my family isn't like that. I want to get back to these wonderful beings. And literally, she went around opening closets and looking under beds and wa- wanting to visit people's basements and maybe their there, there, um, maybe that um, room that's near the roof. Uh, she's always looking for them, trying to find them. I mean, where are they hiding? Where did they go? And and this uh, one one woman remembers very clearly when she was little, and she did have hers when she was about three. I think her book is uh, her case is in that book I recommended. Okay. Um, she was just. Um, so bereft that that she did indeed try to kill herself. She she wanted to get back. Hmm. Now I wanna I I want to be be very clear here for your audience and everybody else. A child does not look at suicide like a teen or an adult does. They don't think that way. To a child, uh, su- they don't they don't understand harm. Um, this is the way a child thinks. When they were not breathing, they were in this wonderful, loving, beautiful world. And when they started breathing again, that world was gone. So, aha, the way to get back there then is to stop your breathing. So they don't think of the harm that does. They don't Mm -hmm. think in terms of the upset to mom and dad. They just want to get back to that bright, beautiful world where all the love is. So you see, that's a child's thinking. Um, And and we, we, we miss this in trying to understand what propels children. And and what I've learned with parents is to teach them guided visualization. And in that guided visualization, 
they can, of course, do the protections and protect themselves and and go through the steps. And and they're back there now in their mind. And and they can see and feel and interact. <clears throat> Excuse me. And and then and then come back to this world. Maybe stay over there maybe five, ten minutes and then come back to this world. Because this is where your your work is done. This is where you develop who you are. This is where you accomplish those things you feel um you feel a need to accomplish. So always come back. But you can go back and forth whenever you want to. Um, just teach them that the real world, that is to say, for our bodies and our brains and where we do our work and where we do our learning and growing is over here, and that's a wonderful world too. It's It's just a little different than the other one. Uh, but don't feel bad about that because you can go back and forth. It's okay. And um, this idea of guided visualizations for children is powerful. My mm-hmm. goodness, it's powerful. And it does alleviate that desire, or I should say that homesickness, that they want to go back. Well, they can go back. They can do it through guided visualizations. Just teach them not to do it too often, you know. Yeah. Because, and 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 drawing again and again and again for children, adults too. Drawing is so important. And make your book. I tell everybody, make your book. I don't care how old you are, make a book. And I'm not talking here about a a tome that's going to go through a publisher. Um. It, you you get a lot of pages as as much as you want of, of of typing paper, white typing paper, or any kind of paper that you want, and you uh, maybe uh, punch some holes in it and put some ribbon in there to hold it together or some string, mm-hmm. and then the first page is the cover, and you have to name it, give it a name. And then decorate your cover, and then on the pages inside, you describe to the best of your ability your experience, what it was like afterward. If if there were newspaper clippings, like you were in an automobile accident or something, uh, paste those in there. Other people's comments, put those in there. Um, leave extra blank pages for... Uh, for you to make comments or to write poems, draw pictures, but make your book. And what I've found, even with adults who make their book, it's almost as if going through the near-death experience again. Yes. It changes you that much just to make your book. It's like you are validating you. And you are the only one, by the way, who can do that. You validate yourself through your book. So I guess I have to make a book. Yeah, get to work, dear. <laughs> I will. I will. I'll, well, I should I'll, say I'll get to that. play. It's not work, it's I play. Yeah. Now, you talked about in one book about the universal uh, prototype of the near-death experience, and then there were patterns, you know, basic elements that went with that. One of them was a sensation 
cloth floating up of one's body. Is that, you know, what we're talking about here? I was going to go through that a little bit so people could. Are, are you talking about the main components in a near-death experience? Yeah. yeah. Oh, the yeah. There, there are five basic, main ones. Basic elements. Yeah. Uh, um, the number one that most people in the world have, whether you're a child or an adult, is an out-of-body experience. That's number one. Oh, that's number one. And um, where they say that that very few of these are validated, that's wrong. Most of them are validated mm-hmm. by third-party testimonials. So these are very, very important, the out-of-body experience. Number two is the light. And uh, adults will describe that light as brighter than 10,000 suns. Instantly you're fried, but there's no pain. You know, there's just something kind of extra special about that light. Um, the, the, The third one is a greeter of some kind. Whether that's grandma or granddad, yeah, whether that okay. whether that's your favorite dog, there's a lot of animals in near death experiences: cats, dogs, horses, a lot of birds, especially a lot with of children. birds. A lot of birds, a lot of birds in near death experiences. Uh, adults can have them too, but uh, I find them a lot with birds or pets that have died and gone on before. You run into that a lot with adults also with children, um, then uh, uh, the life review. They, they yeah. say there's not that many. Well, I found a lot of them. A lot People are of, afraid um, of that, that life review. You want to talk a little bit about that? People are really afraid when you say, oh, you have the life review. It brings fear to people a little bit. Yeah. Um, Why is that? <laughs> Because we we don't want to feel like we're punished for anything we mm-hmm. did that was not nice. Um, so, so so let's take that thought and just sort of throw it out the door. Okay. A we're life review is um, an opportunity for you to go over your life or parts of your life and take a look at what happened. Um, maybe there's something you did that wasn't that great. Um, maybe there's some things that you did that were really, really wonderful. It's Mm -hmm. all in the sense of learning. It's not in the sense of scaring, scaring the willies out of you, but it's in in the sense of learning. Of course, every once in a while, uh, some of us, and I was one of them that, that, that get the big one. (laughs) You and, got the big one. Oh, I got a big one. Uh, so, so in my research base, a lot of people came came out in some kind of room or hall. Sometimes there was a big book that we went over and, and read about their life. You know, in the different parts of their life, uh, there were a number of them, believe it or not, that in this room had lots and lots and lots of shelves all the way around. And and the shelves were filled with TV sets, and they were really? all on, and they they were on to different parts of that person's life, and they could pick which one they wanted to go into, and hmm. and you know relive that. So 
you know, there's different ways you can have a near-death experience. Um, yes, there are some horrific ones. Most of them are not like that. Most of them are more objective, mm-hmm. where you learn and watch. Um, uh, many of them, um, you really don't feel that pain. Uh, rather, again, it's a matter of learning. If there is any pain, many people don't feel it, but some people do. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to mislead anybody here. Some people do. Um, there was this guy in Chicago in my research base, um, and he was one of the horrific ones. Um, he had a, a led a life of crime in the sense that he he was um, like he worked for the mafia. Okay. So he had killed people, hurt people, beat them up, you know, this kind of stuff. So in his near-death experience, uh, not only did he relive what he did to other people, Hmm. but he also had to relive the pain he caused to the loved ones of that person. So he got that person's pain then he got the pain of all the loved ones that um, were connected with this person. So it was like double, double duty. And um, when I was with him, uh, he was he was uh, serving soup uh, to, to the people on the street. He was working in the bottom of a church. And and he said, you know, he says I'm gonna I'm gonna do everything I I can to make up for what I did before. So he was actively involved in trying to pay off, if you will, his dues. Um, whether or not he did that to our liking, to the higher orders, I don't know. But I do know that that was his goal. That's very much what he wanted to do. Um, in in my case, um, mine wasn't really horrific like that, but it had its own sting. Uh, in my case, I relived everything I had ever done since birth. Everything I had ever said since birth. Everything I had ever thought since birth, every um, every impact of my energy when I was walking by anybody in, in any kind of crowd outdoors um, didn't matter where I was. The impact of that not only on the people, but on this soil, on the earth, on the plants, on the animals, on the air, on the rain, the water. I got the full gestalt of my ever having existed in the earth plane. And I was I was so horrified because I, I had always, you know, I had always been toned and t- told and taught that um, you have to be careful, you know, what you do. If you hurt anybody, you go over and you apologize. Um, But I had no 
you know, you have to be careful of your actions. But I had no idea that our thoughts go out and have a life of their own. I mean, that just floorboarded me. It's just like, oh, you know, it's like that's not fair, God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what, yeah. what, what I learned afterward was to do this simple thing, you know, because, you know, how can we control our thoughts? Um, the, the idea of the monkey mind. So whenever I, I would think a thought that I didn't like, right away I would say cancel, reject. Don't say cancel, cancel, or you you cancel out your cancel. <laughs> say cancel, reject. And, um, and, and sometimes I would allow myself to be very negative, just kind of like be a witch on wheels and, and just stomp around and, and yell and scream. And, and then um, I would always ask, it's sort of like the air. You know, I, I was asking the air for permission to just violate it <laughs> and just be really and nasty and then and then stomp around on the floor get it all out of me and um then and then affirm that that was being cleansed and cleared and it was gone and I was okay and 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 I would learn from that so you know there's lots of ways of handling anger there's lots of ways of handling these uh, these thoughts we have that, you know, maybe we don't like those thoughts or they're random thoughts that just come out. Um, giving ourselves time to just kind of be, li- be angry for a while and then work it out of your system and, and forgive yourself. And, and uh, you know, that really works. It really does work when, when you... Sort of dissolve it from your system, and you can do that. Um, get my book, A Manual for Developing Humans. Please, everybody in your audience, that came out last year, A Manual for Developing Humans. And it tells you what anger and fear really are and how to handle them. I was just thinking about all that. Yeah, well, the people yeah, you, you need to get the manual. I mean, that I was just came... thinking about what you said. That's why I took a minute there. Yeah, future memory and a manual for developing humans. Both of them come from my third near-death experience. In the sense that uh, the voice, like none other, uh, that that voice that spoke to me in my mm-hmm. third near-death experience, and I called it the voice like none other because I didn't know what else to call it. Um, you want to talk about I was, that a little I bit? was to write please? three books, and the first one was not named, but the second and third were named. And the second one was Future Memory. The third one was A Manual for Developing Humans. So those are, I think, very, I, I think all my books are important, but those are especially, especially important because they come from that kind of energy. Um, and they're they're both very unusual books. The second one, uh, Future Memory, is, is a labyrinth. It's a real labyrinth. Every sentence, okay. every paragraph, every page is part of the math I use to create the labyrinth format. 
so when you start the book, you're walking into the mouth of the labyrinth. And and stay on the path. It'll twist around with you just like a labyrinth does because it is a labyrinth. You can't skip read because you don't skip through a labyrinth. You stay on the path. And when you're through, it will raise your consciousness up to the next highest level possible for you. It, it It's like a psychotronic device. And, you know, again, I was shown how to do that. And then the the third one is a fifth dimensional book. It has a fifth dimensional format, and uh, you're going to see that right away when you start to read it. Whoops! You know this book mm-hmm. isn't like any other book. Um, but you know, I I think most of us, all of us, for, forget who we are, and literally, we are all gods in the making. All of us. It says so in the mm-hmm. Bible. It says so in all great textbooks of, mm-hmm. of the spiritual. Absolutely. Um, that's who we are. So the book helps us to be what we are, who we are, and to enjoy, enjoy life and have fun. I'm that's a, I'm just getting caught up in all this. It's really, it's fascinating. Well, you're a fascinating person. You well, I'm just are. a curious person. <laughs> well, you are fascinating. Come on. You know, you've done this path. I'm what a fascinating hey, I journey. I come from Idaho. I'm scruffy. I know, but, I mean, you have really put yourself out there and did a whole, you know, 90-degree Well, my dear, I was told to. I was told wow. to in, in that third near-death experience. Um, I mean, hey, when I died, or before I died, I had finally decided enough of this metaphysical stuff. I want a real job like real people. So I okay. decided that I wanted to be a bank manager. And mm-hmm. and I was working at the time as a forms analyst in the analytical department and doing a lot of analytical work there. And I decided I wanted to be a bank manager, so I was taking classes from the American Banking Institute, and that's when that's when I was raped and got pregnant and died and, and complications and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And in my third near-death experience, um, I was told, and I quote, "Test revelation. You are to do the research. One mm-hmm. book for each." death and then I was shown what that meant and um, so once it's, I w- it took me about a year to be a human being again because I had to okay. relearn how to crawl how to stand, how to walk how to run, how to climb stairs how to tell the difference between left and right how to see properly, hear properly and rebuild all my belief systems so it took me about a year to be a human being again and um, the next year, 1978, is when I began my research. I was just doing what I was told to do. And that's what I've done ever since. I, you know, you can call it a mission if you want to. But I've just been doing my work. But you um, stayed on the path. Some people don't. Well, you know, I, I, I felt right? like a promised God is it. And okay. I I just, my sense was that voice was of God, 
And there was no way I was going to um, let that voice down. Wow. Not going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to yeah, happen. So I did my work. Yes, you did. You very strong yeah, convictions. Well, you know, uh, money or not, uh, I didn't have anybody helping me. Um, mm-hmm. I would, I would had a job, and uh, uh, or I would uh, do whatever I could to raise funds. You know, all these people and having these wonderful jobs and and doing this wonderful research. Well, that's great, and I'm glad they did. Um, that gives you, especially the scientific protocol, that gives you the vertical research that establishes uh, structure. But I do horizontal research. You've got to get into the feelings. You've got to get into the people. You've got to watch them. You've got to be there. You've got to talk to the family. What was it like for the family? What do they notice about the experience? You've got to be there and do the horizontal work. What is going on with the people, the families, and that kind of thing? What's really happened? Not what the people are saying. I've never met a near-death experiencer yet who knew how much they have changed within seven years after their experience. None of them know. So you've got to get in there in the families, the healthcare providers, the neighbors, the boss, you know, whoever will talk to you and find out what's really going on. So that's what I've done. And I did it because I was told to. And it would, yes, it'd be nice someday to make some money. <laughs> that hasn't <laughs> happened yet. Uh, um, hey, God, uh, I'm ready. But... <laughs> But nonetheless, this is my job. I promised I would do it, and I've done it. Well, you're doing a smashing job. You are. When you said about the seven years, were you going to tell the audience what you know how that? It takes seven to ten years to integrate the experience. Don't let anybody tell you different. Uh, there's a lot of people who claim that they're able to integrate it within a year or a year and a half. They t- they go to this teacher or that teacher. They take this class or that class. Uh-uh. None of them have. Mm-hmm. No. No. Mm. No. Nope. takes a full seven to ten years. And so what about then, children? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, same with children. Okay. It takes a while to integrate the experience. With children, I think it takes longer. Well, wait a minute here. With with teens or adults, it takes 7 to 10 years. With children, even older children, like 7 and 8, with children, mm-hmm. it takes 20 to 40 years. I believe that. I I do. Because they have no way to know what no, happened. They, no, we don't. They have no way to know. And there wasn't anybody to talk to about what happened. Uh-uh. Here's what. When I read that book, <clears throat> Moody's, I was in college, and it did make sense to me what was going on. So I went home and I took the book and I put it down in front of my mother and I said, you know, this book makes sense. Did I have a near-death experience? <clears throat> and she said, Yes. But I didn't tell you about it because the medical profession, or the doctors at the time told her not to bring it up 
to me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. Yeah, absolutely. So you wonder all these strange things that were going on and why they were going on, and then you don't have anybody to talk to about it when you're a young child. Right. Yep, 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 yep. That's why I suggest those people now get um, um, the new children and and near-death experiences. At least that will give you a lot of information now in the back is a very large resource section that that's not in the new one that's coming out, okay. but it is in this older one, and you'll get this um, uh, steps on visualization, sand play, love, making your book, all all these um, uh, resource sections that parents and schools can do, but especially parents in uh, working with children. That's wonderful. Now, um, you want to talk a little, not just children, but any, you want to talk about some major after effects when somebody has an NDE? Well, it depends on the, the indiv- individual. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. What's a major after effect to, for one person will not necessarily be to another. Okay. So we have to kind of be careful here with the judgment factor. Okay. Um what trips up most people, and we're talking mostly here about adults, is that uh, is the out of body experiences. Okay. And and they will tend to continue to have them. Um, also, um, if you weren't psychic before, you become psychic after. If you were psychic before, you become very psychic after. You do, um, and this idea about love um, that, that, that they're just oh, that's so tricky. Do we have time for me to give you an example? Yes, we do. How 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 how, how long are we going? As long well, we can go probably we can go at least another hour. Oh dear. But um, I've got a husband coming home to eat. <laughs> that's fine. We won't, I'm not going to keep you that long. I just want you to talk a little bit. And, and uh, if I'd have known that before, I I I would. Uh, I could have prepared things differently. No, that's, <laughs> just talk. Just talk. Go ahead. Yeah, but you're, um, you're doing great. <laughs> oh, you I'd, are. I'd love to stay on two or three hours, and in fact, but uh, I won't be able to. Uh, unfortunately, fine. we'll wrap it up. Uh, but we'll... let's talk about love. Oh, please, let's talk about love. Okay. That is so tricky. Let me give you an example. Okay. This is a, a man. He's a real estate agent. He's in California, Southern California, second marriage, uh, wife, two kids. Um, he's about, mm, oh, I would say middle 40s, maybe up to 50, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm going to stick around middle, late 40s. Um, and he, he, he has a near-death experience. Mm-hmm. And, and when I'm talking to him, he says, oh, he says, I love my wife more than I, I thought I could ever love. I love my children. I love my coworkers. I love my, you know, prospective clients that come in the door. He said, I just love everybody. And he goes on and on and on about love. A year later, 
He calls me up on the phone, and he says, I don't understand it. I'm more loving than I have ever been. My wife can't stand me. My children leave the room. They don't want to be around me. I drive away my my uh, prospective customers. Uh, my coworkers don't want to be around me either. He says, I don't understand this. And so he said, I'm I'm walking out the door. I I I don't know when I'm going to come back or if I'm going to come back. I just have to walk out the door. And he did. He walked out on his family. Hmm. I have this um uh, woman, I think she's maybe early 30s. She's in uh, Missouri. I, I I think it's Missouri or or Ohio, not sure, but I I'm I'm going to say Missouri. And um she's a young mother, has two kids. Uh she's married to a, min- a minister. More more of the fund- fundamentalist kind, but n- not necessarily, but a minister. And when I was talking to her, she said, "You know," she said, "I can't go to church anymore. I can't sit there and hear my husband preach. I I make up excuses and I stay home with the kids. And I said, why? Why can't you go to church and listen to your husband? And she said, because I know he's lying. And I can't handle that. I don't know whether they divorced or not. They may have. I was unable to get back with her. The divorce rate of near-death experiencers is between 70 to 80% within about seven years of their experience. It's, it's, it's enormously high. Experiencers talk about love all the time, but most of them have difficulty putting together a loving relationship with any possible mate. Why? Why the huge divorce rate? We come back so loving, yet we drive people away. Why? I'll offer you this. What we experience on the other side is God's love, agape, cosmic love, the highest possible love you can imagine, heightened states of love. That, my dear, is love without an object. Stop for a minute. That's love without an object. The average near-death experiencer, every woman they see is their mother, their daughter, their, their, their sister. Every man they see is, is their 
is their husband, their father, their brother, their son. And it's it's not that you can't tell the difference between people, because you can. But that love you have gushing out of you is seen by the other person as flirting or embarrassing or you're making a scene or somehow that love doesn't fit. Let me give you a personal example. Back in Boise, Idaho, you remember I'm an Idahoan. Yeah. I have three children. Um, my oldest um, daughter, uh, child number one was a boy, then came a, a girl, the middle child, Natalie. Uh, <laughs> we call her Natalie the Volcano. She never walks into a room. She explodes into a room. <laughs> uh, you know, just, you know, <laughs> that's, a, that's our Natalie. Um, and so I was in the, ki- the kitchen one day, and she s- sort of exploded into the kitchen. And she says, uh, and and she has has her hands on her hips, and she's lo- looking me right in the eye. Good Idahoan, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you here. Um, she looks me right in the eye, and she says, well, I like talking to you. You're friendlier now than you used to be. But you're not mom, and I want mom back. Well, you know, we looked for that woman for years and just gave up. I I don't know where she went. She's gone. Poof, she's gone. Um, children want to feel privy to you. Your mate wants to feel privy to you. They want to feel like they are your one and only. What if all of a sudden you just love everybody? And and there isn't any one and only. I mean, you really, really love them. And, and they're precious to you, but so is the guy next door. So is the gal across the street. Uh, and that's what trips us. We're tripped by unconditional love. Mm-hmm. We talk about unconditional love all the time without realizing that on the earth plane, in order to be healthy, you have to have sort of um, a downplayed version of that. You sort of have to have a personal love. And it's okay if you kind of expand that as you grow and, and as you're around other people and, and they get to see that you're not flirting. You just really sincerely love everybody. Um, but that kind of takes time. Um, and it takes the willingness of the family to, to, to be with you and understand you um, you know, w- what I think would help so much here is if the near-death experiencer could sit down and talk to their family and let them know what they went through, how they feel, and these urges they get, 
Uh, one of the things that we've done with IANS, the International Association for Nudist Studies, when we have our meetings, we always have a room for families so that they can come and talk to each other and other near-death experiencers, and so they can come to realize that their loved one did change and that all of us change, some more than others, and what these changes are, and so they can handle that better. And when they do that, a wonderful thing happens, and that is everybody changes. It's not just the experiencer. But it's the mate, the family, the kids, the aunt and uncles, you know, everybody. Everybody changes. And I, I truly feel that's the best way to handle it, to have it be sort of like a group effort so that everybody realizes that you're normal. You're absolutely normal. This is what I say to near-death experiencers who, who are having these out-of-body experiences and maybe are seeing ghosts or maybe um, they're able to go back and forth between different dimensions. Maybe they're very innovative and creative more than ever before, more loving and, you know, um, more willing now to help others. And, you know, and, and I tell them, you're normal. This is normal. This is not extra. This is not extra perception. This is not psychic. This is normal. Hey, wake up, folks. This is normal. And a lot of them come back with synesthesia. Synesthesia is multiple sensing. So you're coming back being able to pick up uh, your faculties are, 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 are are, are just sort of blending things. It's sort of like blended uh, faculties. So let me give you an example. When, when I was a little kid, uh, I was born with stenesthesia. So in the first grade, I was the only child in school who could smell color, see music, and hear numbers. Mm-hmm. Everybody thought I was lying. And teachers, everybody almost got kicked out of school twice. No, I had stenesthesia. Um, what is typical for a near-death experiencer, if they want to buy a painting, they'll buy it for how it sounds, not just how it looks. So we're talking here about blended senses. And and that's um, that's kind of different. <laughs> and again, I want people to know that's normal. That's normal. You're not weird. <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> well, now people will know they're not weird. They're normal after their NDE. Yeah, you're not. That's you're right. different, and being different does not make you weird. No, it doesn't. You may feel weird, but you're not weird. Well, at times now, like now get on my website. Everybody, get okay. on my website, yeah, com. Get on my website. It's just my name.com. So, pmhatwater.com. 
Mm-hmm. On the home page is a special section called NDE After Effects. Get in there. I don't care how how old you are. Get in there. That's what I call first aid for experiencers. And there's all kinds of stuff in that section. And and find out how normal you are. That's great. Now I have one last question because I know you have to go. But. Okay, here's here's the but. (laughs) No, no, I know you have to go, but I want one last question I want to ask you. I want you to tell me who has inspired you in this life of yours to do the things you have done. Wow. You're using this life of yours. Your life, your So path. there's been various sections to my life. Okay. The early part of my life, I would say Daddy and Mama Song, S-O-N-G from the Song of Fjord in Norway. Okay. Um, that's obviously another story. How does a kid be raised in the reclaimed deserts of southern Idaho by Norwegians. You know, obviously that's another story, but I was. And they kept me alive. They kept me sane. They gave me love, truly unconditional love. Um, They helped me to sing each morning into existence. Because when I was a child, uh, I was born out of wedlock, and in those days, that was a crime. And I had five fathers and two mothers. Okay. So I kind of raised myself, but it was Mom and Daddy's song who kept me sane. So in that part of my life, they were number one. Okay. As I grew older... It was um, it was that urge inside of me to um, to explore and be curious because I loved you know I, I, I I'm a canyon girl. So, Snake River Canyon, up and down the cliffs of the canyon. I mean, that, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say during that period of, of time, the spirit keepers kept me sane. It kept me, it kept me out, of, uh, out of jail, literally. Um, the spirit keepers. And the, and the spirit keepers, I would describe, um, I'd be up in the high pasture. I'd have to go up there and get... get our our milking cow and bringing it bring her down, and uh, and this one time I was you know up in the high pasture and I'm sitting on a log, and and that's when I first saw the spirit keepers, and it, it they came out of the earth, it, it, like a mountain builds they just rose from the earth and it was really really high you could see through them. And there were, there were no eyes, nose, and mouth, but I would imagine that there were. And, and these these mounds, that peaks that just 
oozed up out of the earth. Um, they call themselves spirit keepers. Mm-hmm. And and they are the energy that holds the globe together. Every spot of land on on this planet or water on this planet has a spirit keeper. Without spirit keepers, um, that's what holds all the different molecules together, sort of like the glue that holds everything together. You You could call it love in a way it it it's sort of like what holds everything together and um they 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 taught me how to go through cliffs i i mean just walk into them and go through them and and i quit doing that after a while because i didn't like it because it it was stuffy inside you know, you get into inside the ground and it's very stuffy in there and i i didn't like the smell so I quit doing that. Um, so that would be my teen years. Mm-hmm. And and they literally kept me out of prison because that was an angry time for me. And so they were what saved me. And then uh, when I was... Um, then when I was in junior high school... There were various teachers that really inspired me, um, and I, I just decided that I finally decided that when one uh, lives in Rome, you do what the Romans do. Because I had tried so hard to be me, and me didn't fit, didn't fit anywhere, and so I had to not be me. I had to be somebody or something else, and that didn't work either. So I just sort of woke up and realized, okay, when in Rome you do as the Romans do. So I'm going to be like everybody else, and and that will help help me to get through life. So I did that as long as I could. <laughs> um, and, then, and then, you know, you get married and... Um, I I got a lot of solace from church. I was a Methodist at the time, and and I just loved um, being down in the kids' church when everybody else was gone, and I could go up to the holy altar all by myself and talk to God and talk to Jesus, and and that was special, special for me. Um, then when I became a woman, uh, a wife, a mother, three children, I. I think it was Edgar Casey and and the Casey um um you know he was a great great um psychic and the Casey the Casey readings got involved in in Casey groups that was that was very important for me um to to open that kind of door into the metaphysical world and open doors into Huna and I I just I just got into everything absolutely everything um so during those years where uh I was involved with Inner Forum and and all this stuff it was just like that 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 presence really of what I call god um or or higher being or 
I, I mean, I don't care what you call that. It was there. And uh, that that was so real for me. And then, um, and then, um, then I was raped, you know. And it just, mm-hmm. I, I I lost everything. I absolutely lost everything. I, I, sometimes, various of us really need to go through that kind of experience where you just lose everything, including your own mind. Uh, maybe you don't have to go through it, but it's beneficial in the sense of how much you learn from that. Whoa, did I learn a lot from that, from my near-death experience and then having to rebuild my body. You know, it was just like mm-hmm. constant exercises, um, wanting to get my brain back. Um, I even went as far, this is, this is no kidding, I really went as far. I couldn't identify anything, not soap, not sheets, not anything. So mm-hmm. I, I, I went as far as to write to um, the various makers of pots and pans, and I, I wanted their metallurgical reports, and, and I got them. So I went to a laboratory in downtown or well, in the area around Boise, and had their had them tested, and only then would I decide what pots and pots and pans I would allow in my home. Everything else was thrown out the door. I was re-identifying. I re-identified soap. I re-identified sheets. I re I was re-identifying everything. Because it had to make sense to me or it wasn't any good. So I'd throw it out. So I, re- uh, um, you know, I, I, began, I began with crawling. I mean, all over again. And so since then, um, I would have to say that what fills my soul Is not a person. Never was a person. There's never, never anybody I went to. Although Ken Ring was very helpful, so was Bruce Grayson. I had uh, Diane Corcoran. Uh, I mean, wonderful people. But what has kept me going? Ah, I don't know the word to use, except that sense of presence. Um, it's almost above and beyond God or what we think of God, maybe another aspect of God, but there's something more than what we think God is. There's something more, bigger. And I would call that presence. And it's presence that fills my soul. And it's the presence that ah, that enables me to kiss you and love you, even if we're miles apart. You're in Pennsylvania. I'm in mm-hmm. Virginia. doesn't matter. You're right here. And I'm holding you. And I'm loving you. And... It's presence. 
Thank you. And I, I got to go. Okay. I've got a husband that's coming home hungry. (laughs) So I love you all. I love you. Uh, Remember, I produce a free monthly newsletter. Get on my website. Subscribe to the the newsletter. Uh, It just came out today. So um, there's... There's um, um, there, there there's a way you can see it, you know, if you get on mm-hmm. my newsletter. Okay. And uh, you're doing great work, dear. Keep doing it. Thank Love you. you. Bye. Thank you. Love you. Take care. Well, I would like to take this time to thank Dr. P. M. H. Atwater for sharing sharing time with us tonight. And I want to thank all the truth seekers that have listened to us tonight from all over the world. And until we meet again, may you be the light that helps others see.